Hey girls and ghouls, welcome to Slashers Prefer Blondes, a podcast where three brunettes talk the kinds of movies that bite, scream, and slash. I'm Natalie. I'm Heidi. And I'm Laura. And today we're uncovering The Shape of Rage in David Cronenberg's 1979 film, The Brood. I'm doing the intro music. Oh yeah, we should just leave that. That should just be the intro music. (laughs) Yeah, we're just gonna leave that in there. It's way better than anything we could find elsewhere. And now is when the intro music starts. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Okay, so as we covered at the end of last episode, The Brood is Laura's pick. It's her first film pick. Laura, do you want to take a moment to explain why this is the movie you chose? Sure. Well, there are several reasons. The first is, well, one, it's body horror. So that's my preferred subgenre of horror. And I thought it would be a good introduction to body horror because it's not really over the top, but it does have very critical elements that kind of exemplify the genre. So I just thought that would be a nice one to kind of begin with. The other reason I chose this film in particular, in addition to it being one of Cronenberg's films, I like that it plays with like a central element of body horror, which is the idea that psychological phenomena can be manifested physically. So like Mm -hmm. the physical, the physicality of it is like symptomatic of something that's going on psychologically in the characters. Mm -hmm. So I definitely love playing with that mind-body connection. That's what I'm all about. And I also just really think that Samantha Eggers, I think that's her name, Samantha Eggers' performance as Nola is so captivating. And Mm -hmm. really, no matter how you read the film, I think just discussing her character and how she portrays Nola is important in itself. So yeah, those were like the main reasons that I chose this film in particular. Is this your favorite Cronenberg film? This is not my favorite Cronenberg film. So I actually, I don't know what my favorite Cronenberg film is. I haven't seen all of them. I've seen a lot of them, I think. I mean, I really like The Fly. I mean, who who doesn't like The Fly? I think that one's, that one's up there. I don't know. It's really hard. It's really hard to choose one. I also like Shivers, which I think was his first major release. Yeah. The Brood is actually his third. So we had Shivers, then Rabid, and then The Brood. I haven't seen Rabid. I mean, it's good. It's not like, it doesn't really stand out to me, but I mean, it's worth a watch. I like Shivers and the Fly because I think they're the most watchable ones. I think, I don't know. I think there there are definitely some Cronenberg films that kind of devolve into an incoherent story. Like, you don't even know what the fuck's going on. Videodrome's a lot like that. And Mm -hmm. not that I think Videodrome's bad. I mean, I still like it, but it's definitely like, more frustrating than the other ones. I like The Brood and The Fly because the narratives are a bit more linear and a bit more, the narratives are definitely tighter and more coherent, which I do appreciate. And that's also one of the reasons I chose The Brood because I thought it was just a tighter story in general. I would agree with that. I, okay, so here's the thing. I like horror films and I like, (laughs) I don't dislike body horror But, like, the thing about me as a person is that I 
am like strangely squeamish for a person who likes horror movies, like really, really likes horror movies. Like I can mm-hmm. take things that are like obviously fake, but when it gets not fake, it gets me like really upset. Like I can't watch like medical shows really well mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like I get so upset. Like <laughs> and like yeah, watching them. Like one time, one time I was hanging out with my friends. And one of my friends was telling me the story about how he sliced open his finger and he could like see like the layer of fat inside of his finger. And oh, I, straight my up, hand. I straight up almost passed out. I was oh like, I literally, one time I literally did pass out in my physics class because my, my teacher was showing us a, it was in high school. My teacher was showing us a video of her knee surgery Ooh. from like a camera Why? inside because it was like scoped in. Because, like, I don't know, there were people wanted to see it. Like, she was like, hey, I have this video of my knee surgery. Do you guys want to see it? And everyone was okay. like, yeah. And I was like, no. This is in your physics class? It was in my physics class. She just okay, had knee that's surgery. that's just weird. But, yeah, it was, like, a scope inside of it. It was black and white. Like, it wasn't that gross. But, like, I knew it was inside of her knee. And I straight up passed out in class. Oh. Damn. Nobody noticed. I, like, slumped in my chair what? and then, like, woke back up. And the girl behind oh me, who was, God. like, my friend, was like, are you okay? You're, like, really pale. And I was like, I think I'm okay. And she's like, I think you passed <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, no. I cannot handle it. Similarly, same year, we were watching a documentary about torture in my philosophy class. I had to go to the bathroom and put my head between my knees. I, oh. but the, here's the thing I though, like I, I still, thing. I still like love watching movies like that because like they upset me and I enjoy that. Yeah. That says something about you. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the scene where she bites into the womb, I like was like sick. I was like, this is disgusting. Oh. But like, yeah. I loved it. Like I thought it was really cool. The gusher thing moment. was real. It's nasty, but like, I really enjoyed it. So like some of the movies that get to me the most are movies that have really visceral body horror elements one of the movies that fucked me up the most as a human being maybe we'll do it sometime for an episode was the film the ruins Mm -hmm. i saw that movie when it came out i was like a child and it scarred me literally for life like i (laughs) i just can't i can't do it but i still like movies like that so like i appreciate body horror and i like watching body horror films but like i also could not sit through Saw 3. I, I just can't. Mm. I don't know. I'm a very weird person. I, I, have, no, a, I have a complicated relationship to body horror. <laughs> I would say you're, that's, you know, that's a fair, that's a normal reaction to some of the shit that you see in body horror films. <laughs> I watch body horror films like once a year at Halloween. <laughs> I'll, Natalie and I will always pick one. I'm like, okay, we're going to like pick up, we're going to pick a really like fucked up movie. Yeah, we call it our fucked up movie. It's our yeah. fucked up movie. And I, that's like the only time. It's the only I mean, time I watch them. <laughs> I think the body horror is starting to become like I think lots of films that you might not classify as body horror are starting to incorporate body horror elements in them. Yeah. So it is hard for me to articulate why and how much I love body horror. One of the reasons is because I think the body is absolutely fascinating, but I'm equally terrified of it. Like. That's very fair. much like when you think about how complex the body is and like how much is actually going on to maintain homeostasis and things like that. And then you think about how much could go wrong and what that would look like and feel like. That is absolutely horrifying to me. And I think that's why, strangely enough, I'm fascinated by it because it's it's what scares me. But the thing about body horror is like it's usually kind of, well, I think it depends on what you're watching. A lot of the times it's kind of... Uh, you can tell that they're special effects and like 
it's not actually happening. Like, I also have a hard time watching medical shows like that or like the fucking pimple popper thing. That, that show is, is disgusting. I refuse to watch things like that. Like, it also makes me squeamish. But the, the other element of body horror that I like, I don't think it's always present in body horror films, but on a more theoretical level, as I mentioned before, like, I'm fascinated by the connection between the mind and the body. And like, this whole idea that, like, why is body horror scary? It's kind of like, in a sense, it's threatening, like, the natural borders of the, or the natural boundaries of the body. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of yeah. like, when you go beyond those boundaries, it almost kind of, to me, I see it as, like, threatening your identity. Because, like, as a person, you have you have control over very little, but you think that you have control over your body because it's your own body. But then, mm-hmm. like, if something happens that throws that control out of balance and you feel like you don't have control over your body... That's like threatening to your identity as a person, because if you don't know what's happening to your body, you might lose a sense of who you are in a way. I don't know if any of this is making sense. That's like but to up. me, that is terrifying to go beyond the boundaries of the body and thereby threaten your sense of self. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's at the core of a lot of body horror. And that's why it's really scary. Because if you don't have control of your body, yeah. what do you have control over? That's so interesting. Yeah. Well said. And then I also like how it, a lot of times, it's very inextricably linked to like sexuality, especially like non normative mm-hmm. sexuality. I don't know exactly what I think about that in general, but I think it's very interesting that a lot of times sexuality is a big theme in body horror films. Yeah, like shivers. Like raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like raw. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, like raw. That's why. So. Okay, so like we said, it's a 1979 psychological body horror film written directed by David mm-hmm. Cronenberg. And we have, like Laura said, Samantha Agar as Nola. And then it's also starring Oliver Reed and Art Hindle. This is a... I think this is like one of the more divisive one of Cronenberg's films. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like people either like it or they don't. Yeah. It's kind of like the vibe I got from it. I was honestly like I looked up this movie after I watched it the first time to see what the budget was because I was like I told actually I told Heidi about this already. I was like the first death scene in the film when they kill uh, Nola's mom. We'll talk about this soon, obviously. Mm-hmm. I was like the effects in this are so bad right now. <laughs> like I for like the first half of the film ish, like the actual like especially like during active parts of the film, like the effects are just like not there. But then when you get to the parts where it's more prosthetic heavy, especially near the latter part of the mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. Yeah. you can really see like where that body horror is actually coming out. Like mm-hmm. they really cared about what things looked like when you were actually talking about how they appear on the body, which I think yeah. is really cool. Because yeah, this had like a this had a budget of like one point five million dollars and it made like five million at the box office. Right. That kind of gives it a wacky element. Like especially for the first half mm-hmm. of the film, it's it's for like sure. it's not really spooky, it's not scary, it's just kind of like just strange, <laughs> which is yeah. uh, how a lot of Cronenberg reads to me. I mean, you definitely have other Cronenberg films where the body horror is more prominent, and this is kind of like saved for the end, which I think is to a really great effect. Um I mean, it really hits when it happens. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But that's that's another reason I like it is because it doesn't overdo the body horror elements to the point where it mm-hmm. kind of drowns out the narrative and becomes something else. 
Like Videodrome? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, like Videodrome. I mean, it just collapses. It, it does. It collapses into what the fuck instead of like yeah. really hitting hitting you with a message or an, an yeah. overall theme. So like, I really prefer that it saves it kind of until the end to really have that effect rather than, mm-hmm. you know, just meaninglessly throwing it in the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that is like, one thing that's really interesting that you just noted is that like, it has like this like wacky sort of what is going on aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why, because I know that you said earlier that this is one of the films that you can like rewatch and you're always really into it. Mm-hmm. I've seen it once with you. I watched it for the first time with you back in college. And then mm-hmm. two more times recently for this podcast. And each time I rewatched it, I liked it a little less. Honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that it has going for it is that when you're first watching it, you don't know what's going on. And yes. you're like, what? What are these things? Like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And like that wackiness is just kind of like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, I don't know. Yeah what's going on and then like the psychoplasmics mm-hmm. treatment itself is so like off the wall where you're just like what oh, is going on it's so gonzo yeah. yeah it's bananas all of that like i think really lends itself to like it being really compelling for a first viewing but mm-hmm. then going back and watching it again knowing what's gonna happen it kind of like loses some of the charm for me and i found myself getting a little like mm-hmm. okay now what yeah, like get okay like, get to the end because <laughs> yeah. i know the end is good yeah and yeah. i think that i know that's like a i think that's like a personal thing for me because like i said i prefer mm-hmm. like the Cronenberg films that are a little more watchable a little more mainstream like i like shivers mm-hmm. it's a really straightforward narrative and it's also like got a lot of themes that i enjoy in it mm-hmm. and like i like the fly because i'm like okay like this is checking all the boxes like very basic like horror movie construction mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. like, I appreciate this movie for what it is, and I think that the end is, like, fantastic. Yeah, for sure. And I also really, really love the first scene, which I'm sure we're going to talk about soon. Oh my but, God, like, so this yeah. is, like, not a movie that I would just revisit on my own for fun. Especially yeah, like after that. revisiting it and being like, you know, this didn't hit as hard as it did when I first saw it. Yeah. I would 100% agree with you, too, because I had never seen this movie before we decided we were going to watch it for the podcast. And the first time I watched it, I was like, this is insane you know and i i thought it was and like i think it's a really really great film but i was like really captivated by like trying to figure out what was going on yeah and then the second time i watched it i think i watched it like a week later i was like this definitely doesn't hit as hard as it did the first time yeah that's fair which is always wild yeah that's a totally fair assessment and i'm definitely not gonna argue against it it probably just comes down to personal taste Oh, yeah. Yeah. As it always does. But I guess for me, like, this is, I think this is the fourth time, maybe the fifth time I've seen it. Whoa. And, like, the more I watch it, the more I, I guess I still get enjoyment out of it because each time I watch it, I focus more and more on Nola. And because she's mm-hmm. not, she's not really positioned as the central character in the film. So, you know, the first couple mm-hmm. times you watch it, at least for me, I was focusing more on the father-daughter relationship. And, you know, she's, yeah. Nola's just kind of positioned as this villainess in a, in a sense this bad evil mother but the more mm-hmm. i watch it the more i focus on her as kind of the central character and her psychological struggle that's happening and that to me is still keeps me interested because i, I notice more each time i think i mean mm-hmm. i still don't have a very firm grasp on exactly what's being said but it's enough to make me still interested i think mm-hmm. that that's also like 
in big part because of the performance from Samantha Eggers. Like Mm -hmm. she is positively manic throughout this movie Mm -hmm. and it works so well. Like sometimes the way that she delivers lines, I'm like, what is happening? She mm-hmm. demands your attention and you're just yeah, like, like yeah. yep, literally and like her eyes are always so wide and like mm-hmm. she's and like her hair's captivating. She's like yeah. genuinely captivating. Yeah. And like she's also just always like hang I know it's because of her womb, but like she's just like hanging out in these like really cozy like giant <laughs> shirts and I'm like <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like okay, queen. Like <laughs> and like in the last scene she's wearing white and the lighting is hitting her so it's almost kind of forming like this glow around her yeah definitely she owns the character she is the mm-hmm. character and i i know that she had like a very like she was super excited to do it and yeah. she even had well we'll obviously discuss this later but like at the end when she's licking the mm-hmm. fetus Ooh, i guess technically yeah. it's a newborn when she's licking the newborn that was totally her idea i love that i hope that's the version you saw because they actually took that out they took that out of the theatrical cut so then it actually kind of looks like she's eating the baby i still think that i every time i still think she's gonna eat it but she (laughs) doesn't but that was totally her idea so i was like that's rad and you know kudos to you for going for it yeah I saw a lot of people online like describing her performance as like Shakespearean. I was like, I get that. Mm -hmm. It's just really captivating. It's like such a really fascinating female character. Yeah, she's so interesting. Given like the history of what Cronenberg was like going through and like what this is based off of, it's fascinating that that's kind of like how he decided to portray her with like all these complexities and stuff. Mm Because she's like based on his wife. I'll talk about that later. Yeah, it's really wild. Yeah, like I said, like, no matter how you read her character or the film in general, Mm -hmm. because I know there are some interpretations saying that the film is misogynistic, which we should definitely talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I, when I finished watching this movie for the first time, I literally texted Heidi, oh my god, what did I say? I said, like, Videodrome versus The Brood, which one, like, which one is the more misogynistic? Or like, yeah, yeah, I was like, literally, I was like, Cronenberg, are you okay? Like, Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that the misogynistic interpretation is valid. I think there are valid elements to that, but I think there are different readings to it depending on kind of like how deep you go into it. So I don't, yeah. I was also curious as to like what your overall thoughts were on that. I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I have I have notes about that. So like yeah. I will definitely talk about that later, but we should probably start with a quick plot summary. Yes. This one's kind of a monster. Oh, a lot happens. There's a lot happens in this movie. Daddy. <laughs> I actually didn't. I, I was telling Natalie, I didn't mention anything about the daddy stuff. So, like, feel free right. to jump in about that. Well, like, earlier, yeah. Laura was like, the movie really plays with. And I was like, with daddy. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> laugh the way that you say it i don't know it's just funny okay i'm ready now go 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 for it in a darkened auditorium dr hal raglan gives a demonstration of psychoplasmics with his patient mike trellin psychoplasmics is a therapy that encourages patients to release their suppressed emotions especially rage through physiological changes in their body dr raglan is regarded as something of a genius but not to frank carveth Talk to daddy. 
talk to daddy. <laughs> I will say though that like I'll just interrupt myself. This opening scene was so good. I was so confused watching this. I genuinely think that this is the best scene in the entire film. Really? I do. I genuinely think that. I, I that's I saying I a lot agree. because I think that Nola is so fascinating. But mm-hmm. I could not think of a better way to start this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so unsettling and weird. <laughs> it's so weird. It drops you right in. Like you're kind of mm-hmm. like Frank in a sense. Like he has no idea what's going on really. Yeah. I doubt he's ever seen this guy, Dr. Raglan, do what he does. But I love how it just plops you in there and you have no idea what's going on. But it's strangely captivating. You obviously want to know Absolutely. what's going on. And it also like sets up the whole film. Like it's a great way to introduce yeah. you to what the film is about. And I think that it also does a really good job of introducing Dr. Raglan as a character because like he's yes. such a weird figure in this movie. He's like so manipulative. He's so manipulative, but he's also mm-hmm. like such an ambiguous figure like mm-hmm. because he obviously like he's role playing a lot because like that's mm-hmm, what this yeah. therapy is primarily based in. Mm-hmm. But like the roles that he takes and the things that he says like it's just so like there's a lot of crossing gender and like a lot of different kinds of interactions that he's having with these patients. And mm-hmm. it's just so controlling and like upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Upsetting is a really good word like to use specifically yeah. for this opening scene. Yeah. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, cause he's like, he's like, obviously in this opening scene, he's like trying to spark like a response for Mike. And it actually on my second watch, um, did you guys ever, did you guys happen to see the movie Boy Erased from a couple years ago? Mm-mm. It's about a boy who goes to a like, conversion therapy camp thing. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of a scene in that movie where one of the like pastors at this conversion camp is basically like trying to get one of the characters to admit that he hates his father and is like basically like goading him into like having this sort of like breakthrough moment because like he thinks that that's what he needs to do to not be gay anymore. (laughs) And this scene really reminded me of that because it was like prompting Mm -hmm. Mike to go through something. Mm -hmm. Through an emotional experience in particular. Yeah, like it was like forcing him into this unpleasant place. And I was like, that's just like really interesting to me, especially because, okay, like, I don't know what you guys thought about the psychoplasmic scenes in this film Mm -hmm. but every single time we were in one logistically i was like how is this helping because (laughs) there's never like a breakthrough there's never like literally even the like catharsis at the end of that first scene yeah i don't understand where it came from Mm -hmm. i think that the point might have been to show that he's kind of like frank even says he's emotional opportunist so yeah, like, he does. Yeah. I don't know if his goal is to have these these psychological, the psychological anxiety and trauma manifest physically so that it, it can then be treated as a physical ailment or really what is happening, like what his end goal is. Mm-hmm. Like I get that he's trying to have rage manifested physically, but then I, I'm not exactly sure what his plan is after that mm-hmm. happens, how we really treat someone, how that's a therapeutic yeah. device in that way. He keeps saying, like, work your way through it, like, walk Mm -hmm. through it. And I'm like, okay, but, like, he walks through it and then he ends up on the other side. And I'm like, what? What did we learn? Like, how did did this help? Yeah. He's just pulling up his suppressed emotions. That could also be a comment on, like, the pop psychotherapy of the time. Like, the whole idea of you have all these repressed feelings and Mm -hmm. in order to treat them, you have to 
dredge them up from your unconscious and make them conscious and then somehow yeah. deal with them that way. So I think I kind of got the sense that Cronenberg is kind of like, yeah, this is all bullshit. And I'm going to like, yeah, kind of well, tell you that in this way. Psychoplasmics is like I had read actually based on a type of therapy loosely, but it's like based on gestalt therapy, which is heavy into role playing mm-hmm, like this mm-hmm. is. It's just not encouraging you to grow things on your body. I do think that, like, obviously, like, it goes without saying that mental illness is another really big theme of this film. Yeah. yeah. And I I didn't walk away from this movie thinking that it had a very good or positive no. view of mental illness. <laughs> right. No. 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 And I think that you can see that in these scenes where it's like after it ends, you're like, okay, I don't really understand how that helped anything. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, like, they're portraying the act of therapy as something that is ultimately harmful to the individual mm-hmm. and seems kind of redundant or gratuitous. Mm-hmm. And I think that this opening scene really gets at that because, like, you're watching this man who's obviously, like, trying to poke buttons into this other guy. Mm-hmm. And then Mike is, like, debased in this scene. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he constantly has him say daddy, the fact that he is like openly weeping. I think that this stands in a very stark contrast to both Dr. Raglan and to the main character, whose name I forget. Frank. 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 Um, <laughs> because I mean, like, kind of forgettable. <laughs> when, when we see men in roles where they are like mentally ill or even to some extent associating with the mentally ill, like even Dr. Raglan isn't like a normal guy. They seem like, less masculine and like less than because frank is a normal guy (laughs) so it's just interesting to me i think this first scene like really introduces a lot of concepts like right off the bat in a really weird Mm -hmm. way yeah and i I think it's it's definitely portraying dr raglan as a domineering character Mm -hmm. and kind of establishing him as someone who could be manipulating other people i mean it looks like Mm -hmm. he's trying to help but mike is obviously going through some tough stuff and like Mm-hmm. kind of being like you said degraded and, and diminished in front of other people yeah yeah it's for public consumption yeah so it's definitely like painting dr raglan as someone who is using other people to advance his mm-hmm. own career or at least yeah. try to so there's the explo- exploitation there and like you know i say that i love the psychoplasmic scenes because at the core of it i love the idea that the mind and the body are connected in that way yeah and that those symptoms can manifest but like yeah it's definitely manipulative and exploitative and in my mind, painting Dr. Raglan as kind of the villain of the the movie. Yeah. Even though you don't really see him that way at that point in time. Yeah, you're just like, who the fuck is this guy? Right. Okay, we should... More plot. (laughs) Here we go. Frank Carveth seems like a nice, capable, single dad raising his five-year-old daughter, Candace, who we usually call Candy. But it's not until he discovers Candy has scratches and bruises on her back and storms back to Soma Free, Dr. Raglan's Institute for Psychoplasmics, that we learn he's entrenched in a custody battle with his wife, Nola, who's a patient of Raglan's and is able to see Candy on the weekends. Though Dr. Raglan denies Candy was hurt by her mother or anyone at the hospital, he intensifies sessions with Nola immediately following the conversation with Frank. During one of these sessions, he learns that Nola was abused by her mother who hit her and threw her down the stairs. While Nola is having her session, Frank drops Candy off at her grandmother's house, the one Nola is talking about, who is an alcoholic and insists that Nola is making up lies about her childhood. We also learn that Nola spent a lot of time in hospitals for big, ugly bumps that would suddenly appear on her. 
And while they talk, someone breaks into the kitchen and causes quite a ruckus. When Juliana, the grandmother, goes to investigate, she's attacked by a childlike dwarf wielding a meat tenderizer. Candy is unharmed, but walks into the aftermath and even sees the perpetrator. While collecting Candy from the police, Frank is informed that the psychologist rightly assumes that Candy is deeply traumatized by the event. Barton Kelly, Nola's father, comes to town for the funeral of Juliana and attempts to visit Nola at Soma Free to see if she's heard the news. Dr. Raglan says they've chosen not to tell Nola for fear it will adversely affect her therapy and refuses to let him see her after Nola revealed to him that she partially blames her father for not stopping her mother from abusing her and protecting her the way good fathers should. While Barton is at Soma Free, Frank meets up with Jan Hartog, a former patient of Raglan's who is suing for physiological damage as a result of Dr. Raglan's encouragement for his body to revolt against him. Jan is my favorite character of the film. He's so Sorry, wise. I just had to say it. My favorite character of the film. It is like, I'm doing such a good job of not interrupting. <laughs> I just had to say that. Like, I, I, like, I keep fair. thinking, like, I'm like, I want to talk about this. And I was like, I should wait. <laughs> we'll come back. Yeah. Jan's got a very odd growth on his neck and has lymphoma and warns Frank that if Nola remains under Dr. Raglan's care, Frank will be able to sue the doctor for more than psychological damage, but physiological damage as well. Oh, will he? Oh, will he? Yeah. (laughs) When Frank goes to pick Candy up from school, Candy insists they invite the teacher, Ruth Meyer, to dinner that night, and Frank agrees, promising they'll have time to talk about the things that he missed at the open house. While they are talking and kind of flirting about how Candy clearly needs more mothering, Frank is called away by Barton Kelly, who is drunk at Juliana's house and leaves Ruth alone in the house with Candy. And while Frank is gone, Ruth answers the phone and Nola is on the other end. Nola is cruel to Ruth, accusing her of trying to take Frank away from her. At Juliana's house, Frank finds the dead body of Barton Kelly, who was beaten with a paperweight by the same person who killed Juliana. The little person tries to attack Frank twice, but collapses dead. The autopsy of the body reveals several very odd things. This creature can only see in black and white, is naturally toothless, lacks any sexual organs, and lacks a belly button. Whatever this is, it was not born naturally. After seeing the headline about the strange creature that killed Juliana and Barton, Dr. Raglan decides to close the hospital and send everyone away, including Mike, who's the guy from the beginning, who runs into Frank while he is visiting Jan at the hospital. Mike is aggressive toward the idea of Nola and calls her the Queen Bee and the woman that will prove Psychoplasmics works and reveals that she was the only one not sent away. Frank drops Candy off at school, but before he can leave, he is distracted talking to another parent. As Candy enters the building, two mysterious figures follow her into the classroom. They usher her out of the classroom before taking two toy mallets and beating the teacher, Ruth, to death in front of all the other students. One little boy runs out of the classroom, covered in blood, to Frank and the other parent, yelling for help. When Frank rushes in, he is too late. Ruth is dead, and Candy is missing. And Frank's initial efforts to find Candy yields no results. While he's at home one night, Mike comes by and drops a bombshell of information on Frank. Dr. Raglan's on the cusp of something big with these kids. The kids who sleep in the attic of the workshed that Nola takes care of. Frank rushes off to Soma Free and finds the workshed, but can't see anything because all the windows are mysteriously covered. Dr. Raglan emerges from the workshed and is surprised by Frank, who demands to know if the kids brought candy here. 
Raglan confirms that the teacher is dead and then pulls a gun on Frank, warning him that if he tries to remove candy, the other members of Nola's brood of rage babies will kill him. Frank, I have a gun. <laughs> so- <laughs> oh my god. That was the best. <laughs> he's like walking away. He's like, Frank, I have a gun. Frank, I have a gun. <laughs> Check it out. It's loaded. Beat this gun. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. It's so funny. It's so great. I'm so oh. glad you brought that up. <laughs> I was like hoping that it, you would. He has it like, I, I'm, I'm doing it right now, but you can't see me, obviously, because yeah. it's a podcast. He has it like at his hip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Frank, I have a gun. Yeah. Like he's a cowboy doing like a quick draw. Not even. It's just so, oh my God, it's so funny. Anyway, <laughs> it's just like, hey, check this out. Keep going. <laughs> Dr. Raglan finally confirms that it was the brood who beat Candy after Nola was upset at her, and the deaths of Juliana and Barton coincide with the sessions he had with Nola about her rage towards them. He asks Frank to play the role of loving husband to keep Nola calm so the brood will remain neutral long enough so he can get Candy out. Frank literally has one job. (laughs) Literally one job. So Frank goes into the work shed, while Dr. Raglan goes into the attic. Frank finds Nola, who is surprised to see him. He tries to convince her that he wants to find a way for them to stay together and be a family again. That he's ready for anything she might have to share with him. But he's really not ready because she pulls (laughs) up her dress and reveals this gross womb that is attached to her body, like externally. And she bites it open and takes out a small unmoving baby and licks the blood from it. She bites it open and it seeps open like a fruit gusher. (laughs) It does do that. That's valid. It's like when you pop a fruit gusher. That's what it does. (laughs) Frank and hopefully everyone else who's watching it is horrified. And Nola immediately sees through the charade. Frank is disgusted by her and just wants to take candy from her. She delivers that line so well. She's like, I disgust you. So cool. Ah. You hate me. So good. We can't do it as good as her. Never. And as they talk, we hear Candy scream. As Nola's gotten angry, the brood attacked Dr. Raglan and killed him in front of Candy. They are now trying to burst through the door to get at Candy as Nola insists she'll die before she lets her daughter be taken away from her by Frank. She'll kill Candy before she lets her be taken away. Yeah. Like, I'll let her, I will kill her before she's like, I'll let her die before you take her away from me or something like that. That too. Yeah. Because that's why they're going after Candy. Because, like, she would rather Candy be dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank lunges at Nola and strangles her to death. He (laughs) rushes into the attic and finds all of the brood have also died. And Candy is cowering, traumatized, obviously, in a corner. He picks her up and carries her to the car. And as they drive away, we see the beginning of two odd bumps on Candy's arm. The end. Candy has been through so much. This movie's fucking wild. Okay, let's let's start. Let's start. Let's just back it up and go go step <sighs> by step. Firstly, okay. I want to talk about the scene where Frank goes to Doctor Raglan's office and demands that Nola stop seeing Candy. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that for two reasons. Reason number one is if he really didn't want Nola to see Candy, why didn't Frank just go to the cops? Well, he has that scene with his lawyer where the lawyer's like, well, you can't just sue her or whatever because the law always sides with mothers. I know, but like if he went to the cops and was like, hey, my daughter has bruises on her, I think it might be her mom, then she probably would have not gone to Soma Free. Like, I don't, if he just went to the police instead of going to his lawyer, I think that things would have been different. 
secondly, that scene is so interesting. First of all, yeah. you have the like twink assistant who works at Soma Free, right? <laughs> yes. Who is like <laughs> his name's Chris. Okay, his name's Chris. Who is just like doing a great job. But like, yeah, the scenes with Dr. Raglan and him, I'm like, okay, what's happening here? And then yeah, um, Dr. Raglan is wearing that short ass little robe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so weird. And it's just like, like he's in his office. That has a he, shower. Like, just, he just showered. <laughs> you need to shower after a long day of making people cry and calling you daddy. Like, I think that's, that's, that's what, what I mean when I do. say that he's just like such an ambiguous figure. Because yeah. I'm like, what is up with this man? Like, And he just, who he is lies. He's a genius. Man. He's a genius. He lies all the time, though. All the time. The thing that I noticed this time around was like, when Frank says that he's noticed these bruises and scratches on Candy, you can kind of tell that Raglan's like, oh shit. <laughs> like like oh he i didn't know what's that. going on i yeah. think he knows what's going on at that point in time like he knows that the brood is doing or at least has an inkling mm-hmm. yeah like he definitely looks like he's a bit unsettled by that news and you think it's because like oh he's concerned about candy but mm-hmm. it's kind of like i think he knows that he is involved in this and that maybe it's becoming a little more than he can handle i mean certainly it becomes more so like that yeah he definitely realizes that more as the movie goes on and people are murdered he treats the next two instances, like sessions with Nola, like they're kind of experiments. Like if we talk about your mother, what's going to happen? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> if we talk about your father, what's going to happen? Yeah. That like brings me to one of the things that I really wanted to like dig into this movie was this concept that science and therapy is like a victimizer. Because I feel like we see that coming through the whole thing. And it definitely feels like Cronenberg has like a really negative view of therapy or at least like experimental therapy like this where it's like it's only ever gonna hurt you it never does any good i think it's just a view of mental illness in general like every mentally mm-hmm. ill character in this movie is presented as unstable and untrustworthy like even jan yeah, that's fair like yeah. jan is weird yeah. like <laughs> jan is weird literally even the way that frank talks about nola's mental illness Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the way that he describes them getting together like she attached to me because she thought my sanity would rub off on her and it didn't like that's a fucked up way to talk about somebody it is it's very dismissive and it's yeah insensitive in every way Yeah. yeah and like especially because like the film does posit that like nola does have issues but frank ignores them at every possible turn like, you get that whole background of Nola talking to Raglan about her mother. And meanwhile, yeah. Frank is taking Candy to her mom's house. Mm-hmm. And, like, the entire mm-hmm. the way the entire scene is constructed is also very strange. Like, Juliana's, like, drinking while she's watching Candy. Yeah. She's openly talking about how, like, you know, the way that children remember you is not, is not like, who you really are. Yeah. You are what yeah, they, they make say. you into monsters, basically. Nola yeah. said that I beat her, but like that's not <laughs> like obviously yeah. she didn't say all of that, but like it's heavily implied. Yeah. Right. I mean, it also raises a question though, because like she's talking about how Nola was in and out of the hospital for big ugly bumps. I mean, is that just whatever is producing the brood, or was that effects from the abuse? I think you're meant to assume that she's talking about bruises that she got from her mom beating her. But I think that's supposed to refer to the bumps that we see on the on Candy's arm at the end. Yeah, I think that they're a trauma response because yeah, she's being abused. That's her. Yes. So that's how I read it, at least. It raised a question to me, though, like, to Juliana's point, is adult Nola, 
looking at these bruises or like thinking back on them or like these weird bumps that she's had and is she just assuming that she was beaten which sounds like total bs and i acknowledge that I, yeah, no, I don't think that's true. It's funny that you true. mentioned that because I considered that. I was like, well, what if? Like, what if that's what's happening? And then I, I decided that I don't think that's what's happening because of the way. Yeah, I don't think the movie Because of the way the story that. progresses. Yeah, I also don't think that. Yeah, like also for the record, the portrayal of people with mental illness is not good. It's very unfortunate. <laughs> for the record. So like, <laughs> yeah, I almost feel sort of hesitant to be like, yeah, I like this movie because there are definitely things about it that mm-hmm. feel bad you don't have to you don't have to defend your like for this movie like that's completely yeah fine. so like i'm not trying to justify like that type of representation but yeah yeah I, I think it's still worth talking about but natalie back to what you were saying like frank definitely gaslights nola oh yeah it's implied like they refer back to things that frank has said like you mm-hmm. mentioned like oh she married me for my sanity and hoped it would rub off on her but she also has a point in one of her therapy sessions where she says Something like, nothing's wrong except for me. And then she's like, oh no, that's Frank twisting my words. So there's definitely like the implication that their relationship was rocky and he was, you know, probably gaslighting her all along. Yeah, I just think that the stuff with the mom really cemented that like what Nola's saying did in fact happen because like the way that her Mm -hmm. father talks about their relationship, you know what I mean? Like you kind Mm -hmm. of assume that he left because of what was happening to Nola and he couldn't really stop it so they just got a divorce yeah for sure and like the fact that that the fact that juliana was drinking in that scene with candy i think says a lot like she's repressing stuff too not even just that like that's just irresponsible Mm -hmm. like (laughs) well yeah but i mean like i don't know i guess that's usually kind of signifies like yeah people can drink for whatever reason but like Mm -hmm. when i think when you see it like that it's kind of like oh she's yeah regretting something or you and know. Barton too, like it, it's like he is drinking to kind of like suppress his own guilt about yeah. you know, how how they messed up their daughter so badly. Mm-hmm. There's For also sure. one other thing that I want to point out in that scene, which kind of fits into my overall reading of it. So when she when she shows her the picture of Nola as a young girl in the hospital, mm-hmm. I noticed the girl looks exactly like Candy. Exactly, oh, exactly like exactly like her. I think they use the same actress. She is the same actress. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it it speaks to like a cycle of things though. Like mm-hmm. very deliberately, Nola's mom was probably abused by her own mom and then she's mm-hmm. she's now passing that on to Nola who's passing it on to Candy. Mm-hmm. So then like when I noticed that, I was like, "Oh, okay, so Nola equals Candace equals the brood." Because the brood and Nichols. candy are also mm-hmm. very similar. So, like, yeah. they're all kind of the same person in my mind. I mean, that's valid. Mm-hmm. I do want to say for the record that I do not like the actress who plays Candy. I'm so sorry. I mean, yeah. I hate her haircut. I. That's the reason you don't like her. <laughs> not her fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. And, like, I, I don't know. Child actors are really hard for me to get behind in general, but, like, yeah. I. I was just like, girl, like... I mean, imagine being, what, six years old? Seven, maybe? And being told, like, you just saw a a murderous creature that looks kind of like you, and it just killed your grandma. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. How do you react to that? Well, even in, like, the scenes where she's... I don't don't know. I don't like her. I I mean, I get it. I I get it. Whatever. I really do hate the hair though i think it's so bad and i hate her snowsuit like it's so stupid yeah it's ugly it's ugly is what it is 
I do like how incredibly 70s this film is from like the costuming mm-hmm. to like the decor like they walk into that one room and it's like all wood paneling I was like this is <laughs> yeah and like the teacher the way that she looked yeah. <laughs> I liked Ruth I definitely think that okay I'm just gonna I'm just gonna we're just gonna talk about the women in the film now because I want to talk about it yeah that was like one of my big questions here's the thing Let's do it. Here is the thing. This is the reason why I don't think the movie likes women very much. Mm-hmm. I I wrote a little list of all of the four women in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nola is presented as mentally ill and thus crazy. And, and monstrous. Impossible. Mm-hmm. And the antagonist of the film. Juliana is drunk and abusive. And yeah. like dies after having mm-hmm. one scene. Ruth is presented as maternal and incredibly helpful and as a love interest. And then she dies. Mm-hmm. Candace mm-hmm. has absolutely no personality whatsoever. <laughs> She's afforded literally no agency in this film. She is basically just like a symbol of innocence, I guess. Mm-hmm. And even then, because she goes through a trauma, she's then sort of implicated as yeah. potentially monstrous at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. So, I think that this movie does not like women because if you look at the way it treats its female characters, it does not like women. Well, I think this might actually be an interesting time to talk about like why he wrote this film. Because like I said earlier, he was going through a divorce, but not just that, but his wife tried to kidnap their daughter and take her to a cult in California. I did hear about that. Yeah. (laughs) That's wild. I was like, I wasn't sure if that was true. Yeah, no, I like, I've, there's like a quote from him that I'm looking at right now. He's like, at the time I was fighting for custody of my daughter, Cassandra, by my first marriage, I got a call from my ex-wife saying she decided for religious reasons to go and live with these nice people in California and was going to take Cass with her. And I'd get to see her at Christmas. And I was like, okay, that's nice. Great. And then I put the phone down, went to school and kidnapped my daughter and got a court order. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. And like... It it seeps into this movie and like the way that they talk yeah. about motherhood in general. Yeah. Like the law always sides with the mother and like the law believes in mm-hmm, motherhood. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. And then like Ruth being like, oh, she obviously needs mothering. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely feels like you can feel like how brutal that divorce was with his wife, like seeping into this film where he's and then it's also really yikes at the end that that Frank who Cronenberg is like, yeah, that's like the most like me character. Mm-hmm. Strangles. Strangles, Nola. Strangles oh, Nola. Absolutely. Like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it feels very bad. Yeah. And then, like, another really interesting scene that kind of I, I wrote down as like something that made me think about the way the film talks about women and mothers mm-hmm. is when they are finally talking to the police after they found the the thing, the the member of the brood. Mm-hmm. The broodling. I call them broodlings. <laughs> The cop was just like, like some crazy woman obviously didn't want anyone to know that she had a deformed child and kept it locked in the attic. Right. It happens. (laughs) Or like. It happens. Yeah. And then like when the, when Juliana dies and they're like, it was probably just like a break in or an attempted rape murder. (laughs) Like. Yeah. The way that they were like talking about it was just like so like blase. And I was just like. Yeah. Okay. Like. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like one of the things that I. I had written down was, what is being a mother according to this movie? If we just looked at motherhood through the lens of the brood, like, what do you think the brood would say being a mother is? Like, I wrote down, like, care and nurture, because, you know, good mommies never hurt their kids. 
apparently. Bad mummies. Fucked up mummies. Fucked up mummies. Literally, (laughs) literally amazing. I know. So great. Yeah. And then I wrote, they bear children and they're like, apparently the ruler of the house, they give the orders like a queen bee. That's all I wrote down. I was like, is that all there is? Is that well, all this like, movie is trying to tell a, us? A good nurturing mother, like, listens to the man and does what the man asks with almost no prompting. <laughs> hey, can you watch my kid after hanging out with me for a half an hour? Yeah. And then be at my house literally I all also night. Read this and then book. when I when you say that you have to leave later, I'm going to get kind of like, oh, like, why? Even though you left <laughs> me at, my, at your house alone for six hours. Yeah. Well, you went to the morgue. Why did they let him see the corpse? Like, I don't. <laughs> because the viewer has to see the corpse. I know, but like, I was like, why is he in there? <laughs> With the like purple lighting, it was so great. Like, literally, it's like I'm I'm Frank, and I am so important that I was allowed into the autopsy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he's he's the main dude. He has to know everything. It's just it was Not just like wild to me. Like, He's, like, painted as, like, some huge hero because he's a single dad who's very capable. You know, like, mm-hmm. I know how to take care of my kid. And that Although makes he's him, like, always late to things. He's, like, running to pick up candy from different, like, from yeah. school. He's, like, he's like never there. Granted, he's trying to, you know, build a case in the background. He's yeah. meeting with different people. But, like, I feel like he's always running around, like, where's candy? Like, yeah. <laughs> I gotta, like, put her here. And if she's not here, I gotta go take her somewhere else because I can't handle her. I'm going to yeah. talk to her for like one second and when she doesn't say anything, I'm just going to shrug and leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the day, the same day, I think, when she witnesses the murder of her grandma and then goes to the police office or the police station and then he brings her home. I think it's that night where he's like, do you want me to tell me a story? Like, do you want to tell me about what happened at grandma's house? And I'm like, dude, yeah. she just saw that shit. And you know, yeah. like. She needs to come to terms with it eventually, but, like, not that night. Well, the child psychiatrist was like, you have to let her work through her trauma or it's going to manifest in strange ways. Mm -hmm. So clearly that means talk about it right now. Yeah, and, like, obviously her trauma is going to make her her a monster because, like, that's what happens at the end of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you if something happens that fucks you up, Cronenberg has absolutely no sympathy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. Although I will say, I, I don't think the film is totally unsympathetic toward Nola. I definitely think there is some encouragement to kind of see things from her perspective, if you think yeah. about it. I mean, I would agree with that. I think that there is, they definitely do give Nola like a story. And Mm -hmm. I think that they do, like, I think there is interest in, like, what's driving her here. But I think that overall, the fact that Nola is so incredibly just on another level than everybody else Mm -hmm. and, like, so far gone in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. kind of devoids her of a lot of relatability and, like, human, like, normal human characteristics. Like, every time we see her, even when she's in these therapy sessions, she's so entranced by the doctor and like Mm -hmm. talking in such like a intense manic way because everything is so heightened for her that like Mm -hmm. yeah it's still hard to see her as like a person you know what i mean she's acting more like a like a test subject or like a somebody yeah yeah who's just like so incredibly intense (laughs) Mm -hmm. i still think that the performance is amazing but like it's like yeah 
I think each time I watch it, the more I see like how much she's being manipulated and, and villainized by the other characters Absolutely. in the film. Mm-hmm. Like by the end of the film, she is monstrous. I'm not denying that at all. But I think it kind of builds to that because like you mm-hmm. obviously have her mother who abused her. Her father was complicit, as mm-hmm. we learn. And then like Raglan is this male genius who basically keeps her isolated, controls her environment. And like withholds information from her because Mm -hmm. he thinks he knows what's best for her and he exploits her trauma for his own gain. And then you have Frank, who's basically like abandoned her. And we don't know what the relationship was like beforehand, but I mean, I kind of get the sense that it was was always kind of dismissive. It was, yeah, it was never good. And so, like, you know, he's telling her that she's turning into her mother and that she's trying to turn Candy into her. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like all of these things are building to her being like, okay, you all think I'm a monster. I'm going to be a fucking monster. Like, that's what I'm going to be mm-hmm. now because you don't see me as anything else. I think that one of the really important things I think about when we're talking about this movie and like what this movie is saying, because like I walked away from it. I even wrote this down like in my notes. I walked away from it being like, if anything, Nola is the victim of this movie. Nola yeah. is the one who is being controlled mm-hmm. and gaslighted yeah. and like forced into what she's doing. Like, I think that's like a primary yeah, point right. of the scenes with Jan, you know, like mm-hmm. it's like, hey, oh, Dr. Yeah. Raglan is making people sick. You know what I mean? Like yes. I think that I think that, that is definitely a through line in the film, but there's no getting around the fact you can't watch this movie and not think that Nola is the antagonist to Frank's yeah. protagonist. And right. I think that that in itself is what makes the movie feel misogynistic to me. Is that like I can root for mm-hmm. Nola all day long. It doesn't mm-hmm. change the fact that, like, this movie wants me to not do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. She's definitely portrayed as the, you know, as it's been said before, the monstrous feminine and kind of represents the fear of re- women's reproductive capabilities. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, a kind of a rage, a woman's rage can spawn these these stunted mm-hmm. children in a way. So it's definitely, yeah, yeah that's kind of one of the major I found this really wild quote from that article you were talking about earlier, the Barbara Creed thing, the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, She said, the implication is that without man, women can only give birth to a race of mutant murderous offspring. Yeah. (laughs) It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I read also a little bit about how like the womb has been historically depicted as evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There have even been like really old paintings where like the womb had horns on it or something to like signify that it was like a devilish organ or something. I don't... So like, that's one of the reasons I think this movie is actually worth talking about because yeah. of this very prominent example of the monstrous feminine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess I, you're right, Natalie, like, you know, as much as you want to root, for Nola, yeah, you're not really positioned to root for her. You mm-hmm. kind of have to dig for reasons to root for her, I think. Yeah. It's good that we're bringing up that Barbara Creed chapter from The Monstrous Feminine because that really directly deals with objection and like Kristeva's writings on objection and how those relate to motherhood. And just like that concept that the abject is always inherently linked to the mother and how once we start to like recognize the self a la Lacan we start like to distance ourselves from our mother and very theoretical here we might need to explain something I'm so sorry audience um (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm like you're bringing up Kristeva Lacan Um, like who knows these names so like objection is basically this idea that like basically stuff that's gross that you don't want in your body 
and how like those are always inherently linked to your mom because your mom is what's dealing with all the gross stuff that comes out of you and um, and how like motherhood in general is often linked to objection because women's reproduction like periods menstruation all of that stuff is disgusting to society in like a lot of ways i think that another really good movie that kind of showcases objection at the forefront would be like carrie because it's so Mm -hmm. inextricably linked to menstruation i'd say the exorcist too yeah for sure yeah i wrote a paper in college about objection and carrie and ginger snaps so like that's where a lot of this knowledge is coming from yeah like i wrote down grotesque motherhood Mm -hmm. in my notes Mm -hmm. Um, which is something that it's like repulsive to frank yeah so like that's why we get this shot of her with this womb like biting it open (laughs) and then like before we get to that licking the stuff off the baby before we get to that can we go back to jan because i just want to talk about jan yeah Yeah, let's talk about jan i fucking love that actor's performance i love the it's a it's a moment of levity like it's humorous almost you know this guy is dying from cancer I just love how he walks in, Frank walks in, and he's just rolling around on the floor mm-hmm. and then gives him really no explanation and just says, yeah, it's my second heart down there. And you're like, what the fuck? It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. And then he's just like launches into this huge spiel about the lymphatic system. And maybe yeah. I like him so much because I relate to just spouting off random weird <laughs> thoughts that I have and like... <laughs> Like something that makes total sense to me and that the person I'm telling it to is like, mm-hmm, yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. But I just love how he launches into that and the way he delivers. He's like, psychoplasmics. Just the whole way he's making light of his terrible situation and trying mm-hmm. to ruin Raglan's reputation. Yeah. And I think I like the idea that like they introduce somebody like Jan because you get to see that what Dr. Raglan's doing isn't working in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's still, like, it doesn't rid them of their trauma. It just makes it external. Yeah. Like, what's on yeah. his neck is fucked. <laughs> yeah. I know. It really, it really incites the doctor. Yeah. He literally, he just sends all of his patients away. He's just like, oh, yeah. okay. Well, to, well, be, bye. to be really fair, I think the reason that he sends everybody else away is not to focus on Nola, but because he's afraid the brood will hurt them. That's what I That's thought. Fair. That's yeah. fair. I thought he was yeah. like, oh, shit. I got a whole cabin full of murderers. Frank, I have a gun. <laughs> Frank, I have a gun. <laughs> it's still, though, he like he doesn't have anywhere to send them, though. He's just like, okay, bye. He just says, get out. And then he's like, Chris, just deal with this shit. Do it gently. Yeah, yeah. Get them Chris out. is like, okay, Mike. <laughs> if he really like had the interest of his patients at, at heart, he wouldn't just be like, okay, bye. Go find a new daddy. Like, whatever. Yeah. I'm not trying to like defend Dr. Raglan right now, but like I kind of mm, yeah. I kind of think that we're being a little harsh because I think that he does care about his patients, but I think he's caring about his patients by being like they need to get out of here because this is a dangerous situation for them. I don't have time to focus on that because I have a cabin full of murderers on my property. So like his focus is on Nola, but I also think that when we hear that from Mike, we're seeing it through Mike's eyes. Mike yeah. is jealous. So Mike is like he's focusing Absolutely. on Nola, she's the queen bee. He knows that I'm addicted to him and he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, so like obviously Mike's going to be like, my daddy abandoned me. But like, even my surrogate daddy. Even my surrogate daddy. Will you be my daddy? Jam won't do it anymore. Yeah, that's a, neat, <laughs> that's a neat little parallel where like Mike reveals that to him or asks him to do that and Frank is repulsed. And then later like Nola kind of reveals 
herself to him and he's similarly repulsed yeah Yeah, like if some grown man asked me to be his daddy like that i'd be like no thank you sir (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and jan's just loving it he's just like oh we got a real live one which you know (laughs) is obviously an insensitive way to describe but but that's just kind of how jan is yeah yeah Jan is so weird. He's like, it's spreading. I just love his fucking delivery of those lines. I love when he's like, when he's talking about why he's going to do, why he's going to go through this trial, even though he's going to lose. Mm-hmm. And he like puts his hand up and he's like, revenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> revenge. Yeah, I love it. He just totally owned that character. It was great. Yeah. I'm looking back over my notes and I have one other thing that I wanted to say about Juliana. Um sure. <laughs> Okay, so while they were literally were getting the whole mommies don't hurt their own children thing from Nola while we're talking to Juliana. And I think we can assume that Frank is aware of Nola's past. I don't know if that's fair to assume that or not. But regardless, you have Juliana like reflecting on the past. Yeah. Talking about Mm -hmm. Nola's impression of her. And then Mm -hmm. Frank is like, she needs her grandmother. Like, she needs that maternal figure. Yeah. Even though the maternal figure that he's presenting to Candace right now through Juliana is flawed. Mm -hmm. I think that's so interesting. Like, the idea Mm -hmm. that, like, Frank is like, well, she needs needs her grandmother, even though her grandmother's, like, abusive. Like, I don't, I didn't know what to make of that scene. Like, I don't really know what it means overall. But, like, this idea that, like, even Frank is, like, still devoted to this idea that, like, I can't I can't be that for my daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Ruth says, she obviously needs mothering. And Frank is like, mm-hmm. she needs her grandmother. And like, yeah. the film posits that like Frank, a masculine character, can never fulfill the role as mother and can never be maternal. And mm-hmm. I think that's fucked up. Yeah. You know, like, that's not really fair to Frank in a lot of ways. And I think that the movie simultaneously presents mothers as like these monsters who can cause insane trauma but also says that they're necessary for a child to have yeah. like a well-rounded upbringing. A good mother is necessary. Yeah, and it's like it's like really fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I guess to me I saw those comments as like prompted by Candy wanting to play mother-daughter with Oh yeah. her teacher and things like that. So it, it seems like she's the one who's kind of missing her mom and Frank kind of internalizing that and feeling like he's not enough maybe. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Ruth, what she obviously needs mothering. That's mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about the end? Yeah. Let's talk about the end. So, like, that womb. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This might be a good point to talk about, like, something that I... This was, like, my major thought that I came up with. So this is kind of playing off of the Nola equals candy equals the brood type of relationship Mm -hmm. because i was thinking about like okay what you know this whole the shape of rage what is nola's shape of rage and to me like her physical manifestation of her rage was like monstrous reproductions of herself so like Mm -hmm. i i kind of thought that she might think of herself as a monster just because you know she was abused and Mm -hmm. she didn't see any reason for her being abused and then her father failed to protect her and then Frank, you know, she sees Frank as someone who hates her and abandoned her. So, like, 
I assume there's some internalized kind of self-hatred going on. She correctly sees Frank as someone who hates her and abandons her. Yeah. So like if she thinks of herself as a monster, then what psychoplasmics does is it takes what you're feeling inside and externalizes it. So if she feels like she's a monster, the externalization of that would be these monstrous versions of Mm -hmm. herself. Mm -hmm. And that kind of hit home when like her dad is at the old house and he's drinking. And then he sees the, the broodling behind him. Yeah. And he's like, Nola? And I'm like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. When I first saw that, I thought he was just drunk and didn't know what he was talking about. But this time I was like, oh, he's drunk. But he like he thinks knows. he sees Nola because the birdling looks like Nola and also looks mm-hmm. like Candy. So that's kind of how I saw the birdlings themselves is like mm-hmm. little versions of Nola. Yeah. Which is also interesting, too, because they take such care to get her away from the scene when they're going to kill Ruth. She's the only one Mm -hmm. that they make sure isn't in the vicinity when they murder her. Like, I'm going to try to protect you from trauma because that's what good mothers do. But then they also kidnap her and, you know, later try to kill her. Yeah. It's it's very, there's a lot of duality there. Like a very thin line. Because then uh, Nola wakes up from a dream and she's like, oh, I dreamt that Candy was coming back to me. Mm -hmm. So I think that like. She's yeah. kind of unconsciously knew or subconsciously yeah. knew oh, that yeah, the for sure. was going to bring her back. Yeah. And like, I think I totally agree with what you're saying about the brood. I interpreted it slightly differently, but like, I think that your read of it makes just as much sense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like it's a, like the shape of rage, like we said, but like the rage is not just at herself, but also like directed at the fact that she can no longer actually be a mother to her child so like Mm -hmm. this idea that like she feels like she is incapable of taking care of candace and like is being told by frank that she's not allowed to Mm -hmm. basically this idea that like she's in this position where she is unable to fulfill that role of quote-unquote good mother and the Mm -hmm. way the reason why she's like birthing out these (laughs) little, Mm -hmm. little little broodlings is because like she feels like she is like this is a way for her to sort of do what she wasn't able to do before and like nurture and mm-hmm. like take care of yeah. both herself and Candace through these like fake Candaces, fake Candy. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> which I think is kind of interesting, especially when they talk about like the way she interacts with them, like she has that birth scene where she like licks it clean and it's very reminiscent of what like a animal would do out in the wild. And then like Mike says that she's the one who takes care of all the children in the shed or whatever he says. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the workshop. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even like Dr. Raglan calling it like, that's her brood. Those are her Mm -hmm. children. Yeah. And it's interesting because Raglan has that line toward the end where he's revealing what the brood is. And he says that candy's one of them. So I kind of saw that as like, yeah, yeah, she's she's one of them in the sense that she is Nola's daughter. Yeah, these are mm-hmm. your siblings. Like the brood are her children too. Yeah. Home. yeah, but then also kind of going along with my interpretation, like she's one of them because she's her daughter, but she's also a reproduction of Nola, kind mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. So then it's kind of like, it goes back to like inherited trauma in that sense. And that Candy is kind of seemingly mm-hmm. almost destined to be like Nola. Yeah. Because she's experiencing some of the, the similar... A similar Mm -hmm. trauma that Nola experienced as a young girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I really appreciated about that final scene is 
one that I, I liked that it was a very climactic confrontation between the two. It had been like building mm-hmm. up. Like she's trying to call him several times throughout the film mm-hmm. and she can yeah. never reach him. And I did like that she's at least, they show that she's reaching out, trying to reach out to him and like wants the family to get back together, wants herself mm-hmm. to get well. And, but she's yeah. just yeah. frustrated with Frank because he won't wait for her and is, mm-hmm. you know, is very dismissive. But I like that she fucking calls him out on his bullshit. And he's like, you know, he goes in as this apologetic husband or ex-husband. And she's like, oh, I wish all of this were true. Mm. And then he's like, yeah, I want to be part of your new life. And she's like, are you really ready for me, Frank? Mm -hmm. And then she's like, then look. And then, you know, you get that big reveal. So she's basically like, I know you're talking bullshit. I know you don't mean any of this. And you actually hate me. So then at that point, I kind of feel like she realizes that he's never going to see her differently and that if she's always going to be a monster in his eyes, then she's just going to fully embrace that monstrosity Mm -hmm. and just like go for it. I think it's so funny that he's like talking a huge game. He's like walking in like, you Mm -hmm. know what? I can I can do this no problem. He had one job and it was to keep his cool. And guess what he could not do? (laughs) Granted, like to be fair, if I saw that, I probably wouldn't keep my cool either. But like... (laughs) And she knows I, that. No, I can't. It's this movie. Frank, I have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the best. it's the best line. Uh, yeah, I'm glad the doctor dies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he kind of he kind of deserved it. It was coming. Like, yeah, I think he knew going into it. I mean, he did take a couple of them out. Yeah, and he's like trying to wake up Candy, and she's just like in a dead sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it time for school yet? That's her trauma response. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. What do you guys think of the end with the little bumps? Like, how how do you feel about that? I mean, it's it's just furthering the cycle. Like, I think it really speaks yeah. to you can't ever escape the cycle of trauma and abuse, unfortunately. That's just how I took it. She's just been through so much by the end of that movie. I feel so sorry for her. Yeah. It's not a very uplifting film. It just oh, no. leaves you and you feel just kind of bad about everything. You feel bad about therapy. You feel bad about your parents. You feel bad about children. You're just like, wow, the world is so horrible. It's yeah. like interesting to me that like, the movie goes to such great lengths to like give Frank what he wants. And then he finally saves Candace. And it's like, oh, nope, she's fucked up just like her mom. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That like no matter no matter what you do, your kid's always gonna be messed up. Yeah. I did read something about the production of the film, and I guess that Cronenberg started writing it when he heard about Kramer versus Kramer, mm-hmm. the movie that came out actually in the same year. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen it. I don't know exactly what it. it's about. I know it's about the dissolution of a marriage. It's so good. you can verify if any of this is wrong or correct. But he said that he like became aware of that and then wanted to write his version of Kramer versus Kramer, which was more realistic. Mm-hmm. So more like what he, I'm sorry. Through. What? <laughs> he says that his, he says that his version is more realistic. And I guess it's because yeah. he thought that Kramer versus Kramer had a more optimistic ending than it, it should does. Have been. So he wanted to, that could be one of the reasons why this film feels very depressing in that I sense. I mean, to be really fair, Meryl Streep didn't kidnap their kid in Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, that didn't happen. So, like, yeah, I think that I, if you want to talk about, like, realism, I think that the realism that exists in The Brood is that this is very much so from the point of view of a man who is going through 
a divorce. A divorce. This is the point of view of a man who does not like his wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who might have liked yeah. her at one point, but does not like her anymore. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I... And is afraid that he's messed up his kid. Yeah, I think that there is a realism to that. And I think that it does have, it definitely has a perspective. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Kramer vs. Kramer since I was like a teenager. So like, I can't really speak to the truth of that film. But I can say that like, that one is like, definitely, it's a drama. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that this speaks more strongly to the idea of a relationship fracturing but we're not really mm-hmm. seeing the fracture we're seeing the like shards Aftermath. you know yeah. what i mean yeah so like we're seeing the parts of it that are actively hurting you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like this isn't about the dissolution of a relationship this is about a man right. lashing out at his wife when you also think about something like i don't know if either of you guys saw a marriage story no yeah i did see it i would even like go to say that I think a marriage story suffers from a kind of similar conceptual framework that this does, where it's kind of stacked in the favor of the male perspective. So you like see mm-hmm. more of that. But like the difference is that you're seeing like the actual dissolution of a relationship. Like you're seeing the whole thing mm-hmm. kind of fall apart in front of you and you're seeing why. Here we don't see why. We just see the fallout yeah. and the why that's presented yeah. is that Nola's crazy. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I wish that we had more information on what actually happened beforehand because it is definitely very, you know, it's from Frank's perspective. So we're encouraged mm-hmm. to take his side in it, basically, and to view Nola as a villain mm-hmm, um, and yeah. as someone who is a threat to their child. Mm-hmm. But nothing is ever verified like he says like oh you're turning into your mother but we have no way of knowing if that's just his interpretation of what's happening or if yeah it's actually true yeah i think it's interesting too that like it says this on the wikipedia page that this movie is the sole feature that he thinks most embodies a classic horror film Mm -hmm. i saw that i'm like curious as to like what he means by that but like i definitely think that the the perspective is what makes it mostly like a horror film. You know what I mean? Like looking yeah. at the looking at the events that happen in the film, like kind of objectively, like you can more easily see Nola's point of view and see it more like about a relationship and about trauma. But like when you're thinking about it from Frank's perspective, Nola mm-hmm. feels much more vindictive and much mm-hmm. more like mm-hmm. an antagonist. Yeah, yeah, that was well put. Thank you. It's actually I don't know. It's kind of complex in that way like i'm still not totally sure how i feel about it like it's an enjoyable movie to watch despite its flaws but it's like you think it's going to be fairly simple and then there are actually surprisingly a number of layers to it Mm -hmm. yeah so what are we watching next natalie it's your pick next week it is my pick next week. We're circling back around. This time we're not doing like a theme. We're just picking movies that we want to talk about. We're just like vibing. Next time, we're going to be discussing Slither, which is a 2006 black comedy science fiction film, comedy horror film, uh, written and directed by James Gunn. It was his first film. If the name James Gunn sounds familiar to you, that would be because he directed the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and Marvel is inescapable. Um, but oh my god, (laughs) pretty much. I really enjoy this film. I think the reason why I really like this film and the reason why I picked it is because when I first watched it, I had very incredibly low expectations like, I had the lowest of the low expectations. And when I watched it, it very much so surprised me. That's all I'm gonna say. 
I feel like that's almost what you have to do with a lot of horror films is just go in with the lowest expectations you can you can have. I think part of it had to do with the marketing for this movie, which we'll probably talk about a little bit more when we actually do the episode. Because like, I don't know if you guys remember 2006 when this film came out and like how it was marketed. No, I don't know. No, not at all, actually. Okay, like maybe do yourself like a favor and like look up some of the posters and look at the trailer. Because the way that they market the movie, it's not it is that but it's also not it's so much more than that so like yeah i think it'll be a good continuation of some of our discussion this time when we talk about body horror Mm -hmm. because i would i would argue i wouldn't even argue slither is grosser than the brood is definitely agree yeah um (laughs) and it's also a lot more crass and it also has a lot of it also does blend practical effects and CGI. Like, where it's only practical effects in The Brood. There is CGI in Slither because it came out in 2006, and we all know how the 2000s were. <laughs> so, yeah, really good movie. If you haven't seen it, I definitely suggest you watch it. It's not available to stream anywhere, but, like, it is, like, a really fun time. So, like, grab your friends. Watch Slither. It's, it's funny, and it's <laughs> weird. <laughs> Nathan Fillion is in it. But yeah, it stars Nathan Fillion and Elizabeth Banks and Michael Rooker phenomenal phenomenal cast it's a great cast i don't honestly like this movie this movie should be more of a cult icon than it really is i'm surprised that it hasn't blown up but you know whatever we'll see what happens we'll talk about it next time and it'll be a good time i'm excited thank you so much for listening i hope you guys enjoyed our discussion of the brood um if you have things that you would like to say about the brood please follow us on instagram at the slasher at no no that's not what it's called at slashers prefer blondes podcast where we will hopefully be posting content Thank you so much. I cannot believe you made it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. If you like our podcast, please give us a review. That would be really, really cool. And let us know what the shape of your rage would be. Yeah. What's the shape Mm. of your rage? Mine is a square. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. See you next time. Outro music. (laughs) 